It's always uh, a challenge to talk about St. Mary. How do you encapsulate St. Mary in, uh, in a few minutes or a few words? It's, it's very hard. So I thought about starting with some small facts about the church and St. Mary and how the church honors St. Mary. We'll start with a trivia game. If any of the youth here know me, they know that I like trivia and I like church trivia and Bible tri uh, trivia. So let's start with, uh, with church trivia. Is this the only feast for St. Mary? Is this the only feast for St. Mary? Well, this is St. Mary's congregation. I hope St. Mary's congregation knows. No. <laughs> I wouldn't ask the question if, there was more, if this was the only one. In fact, we celebrate St. Mary's feast several times during uh, the year. If you know, if you follow the Coptic calendar, you know, today's date is the 8th of Misra. Yesterday was the 7th of Misra, which is, by the way, one of the feasts of St. Mary. The Annunciation of her birth. Archangel Gabriel announced to her parents, trivia, youth, her parents' names were? Joachim and? Very good, very good. So yesterday was the feast of the Annunciation of her birth. And there are many other feasts. In the, on the 21st of Tuba, we celebrate her departure. And remember, we never call death in this church. As Abuna says in the Vespers, it is not death, but a departure. We do not die, we depart to the second life, to the afterlife. So the 21st of Tuba is her departure. So what are we celebrating now? If her departure is in the 21st of Tuba, what are we celebrating now? Why are we here? Why are we here for two weeks? And what are we celebrating next weekend? The departure is usually the big feast for any saint. I heard somebody say her assumption. Her assumption. Exact assumption means when her body went up. Actually, you're only partly right. Because her assumption happened shortly after her departure. You've all heard the story of St. Thomas when he was in India and so forth. But the disciples wanted to see the, the blessing of her body in heaven. So they fasted for two weeks, and after two weeks, our Lord said, okay, I will reveal to you her body in heaven, and the revelation of her assumption is what we celebrate. So her departure was in Toba, 21st, and then her assumption, but today, or this week, uh, next week rather, we celebrate the revelation of her assumption. For a couple of minutes, I'm gonna tell you something that was going on at home today. My wife decided she wanted to clean the basement. And like any good husband, I ignored it. No, sorry. I went to help her. And I came across a box of things that reminded me of some of the old. Who here has moved from house to house? We have about seven boxes that have never been opened from every single house we've moved. I don't know what's in them. The same seven boxes that we just take closed as is, who knows what's in them, and we just move them from house to house to house. Anyway, I came across one of those boxes, and it was full of some old things, and I came across the youth will have no idea, or most of the youth will have no idea what this is. Have you ever seen anything like this before? The youth, or the younger youth, will have no idea what this is. Do you know what it is? Because you probably saw it on TikTok or Instagram or something, right? You didn't come across one. It's a negative. 
Back in the day, we didn't take pictures on our phones, believe it or not, we had something called film. And you had to put the film in the camera. Um, this is before, you know, electricity, and no, I'm just kidding. Before iPhones, we had to have film, we put it in the film, the film went to the camera store to process the film, and then we would have a negative for every picture. So if you look carefully here, I'm not sure you can see it, there are four images on this sheet, and they represent four pictures that we got. And if we ever wanted more copies of the film, we couldn't cut and paste, we couldn't send it, we'd take this to the store and say, can you make more pictures from this negative? So I thought this was very interesting. This, I looked at it and I said, I can see who's in the picture, but I can't tell anything else. If you've ever looked at a negative, you can't really tell what the picture reveals. It's sort of like a shadowed version of the, of the picture. But when you get the actual picture, you say, ah, oh, now I understand. Now I see what this negative held. I want to talk about St. Mary. I want to talk about her revelation through the ages, through the lens of a negative. Understanding what's behind the picture when it's finally exposed and it's one, when it's finally processed. It is a form of art, actually. Photography is a form of art and we're surrounded by art everywhere we go in the Coptic Church. Icons everywhere. Let's pause for a minute and talk about the icon of St. Mary. The icon of St. Mary teaches us a lot. I'm not gonna talk about iconography, don't worry, I'm not gonna bore you to death. But the icon of St. Mary actually holds a lot of information. Every single icon holds a lot of information. I want you to remember this. We should never talk about an icon that we see an icon. No, we read an icon. We don't just see an image. We read the story through the icon. The beauty of iconography, especially Coptic iconography, is it reveals so much about the life of that person. Their features, the background, the colors, and so on and so forth, tell us a lot about that person. So the correct way to talk about an icon is not to say, I saw an icon. No, I read an icon. You're reading the life story of that person through the icon. When we look at the icon of St. Mary, there are so many lessons we can learn. So many lessons, and I'm not gonna talk about all those things because I'm sure all the other sermons talked about that. We see patience, we see silence, we see endurance, we see serenity, we see acceptance. All those things we, we learn about St. Mary when we look at the, sorry, when we look at the icon, because it's a story. It's a story of her life. But one of the most important parts of the icon of St. Mary, and this one actually shows it beautifully, is that she's pointing at Christ. A true icon of St. Mary, actually a true icon of any saint, always leads us to Christ. Any icon you look over here is leading us ultimately to Christ. The most beautiful feature of this icon is that she's saying, it's not about me, but St. Mary, it's your icon, but I shouldn't be the focus. She's directing the attention of the person who's reading the icon to Christ. We may look at her and say, this is St. Mary's icon, when in fact, out of her humility, and our church exemplifies this in the icon, she says, no, it's not about me, it's about him. She's always leading us closer and closer to Christ. There are many other features about the icon that we can learn. Look at her eyes, for example. The features of uh, icons are usually not symmetric. 
We look at some of these icons, especially the older ones, if you've ever been to the monasteries in Egypt, you look at the icons and forgive me, it looks like a child druid. The eyes are very small, the head is very big, the hands are, are small, everything is not symmetric. That's not by accident, it's on purpose. The church is reminding us, and the person who drew the icon or painted the icon is reminding us that the features that we take as important here are not the same as how God sees it. For example, the forehead is usually very big. That reminds us that our thoughts, our mind, should always be meditating on God, should always be thinking about God. As it says in Psalm 1, trivia, who knows Psalm 1? Go ahead. Blessed is the man who does not walk, exactly, but his delight is what? In the law of the Lord, and in his law he shall meditate day and night. The mind, meditating on Christ, meditating on God. And that's why the forehead, at least in the Coptic iconography, is very, very big. The eyes, the eyes usually are big, why? Why are the eyes big? So they can look at cars and money and fancy houses. Why? To look at the, at the glory of God. We can't fit God into our eyes. So the eyes are drawn big to remind us that when we look at God, we're seeing something unbelievably big, heavenly, outside of time, outside of, 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 of the world. It's, it's not in the, in, the, in the frame of mind that we see things normally. The mouth, very small. Why? Why? Why is the mouth small? Aren't we supposed to praise? Aren't we supposed to pray? We can't do that without a mouth. Imagine everybody here had a small mouth. We wouldn't, St. <laughs> Mary's wouldn't be known for, for, uh, for nada. But why a small mouth on the icons? To remind us to watch what we say. To remind us that too much talking sometimes will get us in trouble. You know St. Arsenius, right? You know the story of St. Arsenius? The one who said, many times I have spoken and regretted it, but never have I stayed quiet and regretted it. That's why the mouth is small. Over and over and over and over, these features show up in the icons. Another important thing about this icon is that she is to the right of Christ. Christ, remember we look to the east, but Christ, as in the bosom of the Father, the Pantocrator, is looking at us. So to his right hand is St. Mary. And that comes from the book of Psalms. Your queen is at your right hand. Even on the iconostasis. Here's Christ, and here's the Theotokos. Christ is always, she is always to the right of Christ. And for the deacons, what is the um, doxology that we say during Vespers? We just said it a few minutes ago. I want to hear the deacons. The adornment of Mary. Okay, another question. Let me, let, me, let me rephrase it. Everybody's asleep. What does sa'owinam mean in Coptic? You know the rest. Sa'owinam. At your right hand. You should learn your Coptic. Your right hand is sa'owinam. So we say this over and over. I encourage you guys to try and learn the words. Not because I want you to learn Coptic, 
but at least understand, we have the luxury now of having everything translated. So when you hear something, maybe in a church or in a place where it's not translated on a screen, you'll understand the words that it says. Always at the right hand of the Father. And the fact that she is pointing to him reminds us of a very, very important event, the very first miracle. Who knows what the very first miracle of Christ was? What did you say? Turning the water into wine. Very good. St. Mary said something very important at that miracle. She said, whatever he tells you to do, do it. Now, she was speaking about that miracle. But I think if we ponder this for a while in our own spiritual lives, it means a lot. Whatever he tells you to do, do it. Again, she's deflecting the attention from herself to Christ, as in the icon, but she's teaching us what every other person in the Bible, prophets uh, before her, saints after her or during her time, always did, pointing to Christ. Whatever he tells you to do, do it. Not you. Not you. In fact, if you think about all the hymns of Saint, of the, the, in our church, pay attention during the, the, the procession to some of the words. Everything is back to Christ, back to Christ, back to Christ again. Yes, we are magnifying her. Yes, we are exalting her. Yes, we are venerating her. But we are venerating her because of what she's done. She brought in the Son of God and spent the rest of her life and in the life after pointing us back to Christ, redirecting us back to Christ. That's what the magic of St. Mary is, or that is what makes St. Mary so important. She's constantly deflecting the attention and saying, whatever he tells you to do, do it. I want to talk about the book of Hebrews for a minute. I know that many of the fathers this week have talked about the, epist the epistles of St. Paul. The book of Hebrews was written by St. Paul. I want to say this again. The book of Hebrews was written by St. Paul because many people in the West will say that it was written by somebody else. Or they will say the author of the book of Hebrews because we're not really sure he wrote it. The book of Hebrews was written by St. Paul. It's a little bit different. If you read the wording, if you read the language, it's a little bit different than the others. And that's why people in the West and the churches in the West will say, well, we think maybe St. Barnabas, or we think maybe St. So-and-so wrote this, or St. So-and-so, or the author of the book of Hebrews. St. Paul wrote the book of Hebrews. I'm just reminding you for the fourth time because you're gonna hear this, especially if any of you take college classes, religion classes in college, the professors there will always, always say that Hebrews was written by somebody, not St. Paul. In the book of Hebrews, St. Paul talks a lot about the priesthood. The majority of the book talks about the priesthood, but it comes at the very, very end and changes tone completely. And he says, everything that you've learned leads us to this high priest. If you take the entire book of Hebrews, he's talking about Christ and how Christ is the high priest. And in the beginning and the end of the book, he's talking to the Hebrews. Now, these are supposed to be the people, the descendants of the Israelites who knew the prophecies and knew that someday the Messiah was going to come. So he took the beginning and the end of the book and said, this high priest, this is the Messiah. This is the one that we've been waiting for. The most famous chapter in the book of Hebrews is chapter 11. The heroes of faith, it's called. If you read the book, uh, chapter 11 of Hebrews, every other sentence says, by faith, 
Abraham did this. By faith, Noah did this. By faith, Isaac did this. By faith, Joshua did this. By faith, by faith, by faith. By faith means they were anticipating, expecting, and waiting for the revelation of the Messiah. So St. Paul tells us we are among them. In fact, in chapter, in chapter 12 of, of Hebrews, he said we are surrounded by a cloud of witnesses. We are part of that cloud of witnesses. People who witness that the anticipated Messiah has come. This high priest that he talks about is Christ himself. And we are surrounded by, and we are part of this cloud of witnesses. And he's reminding us, look to those who came before you and follow and imitate them, he says. St. Paul tells us to imitate the other people, these people of faith, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Moses, Joshua, etc., etc., etc. Look at them, learn from them, and imitate them, is what St. Paul says in Hebrews. He lists them, and then he says, these people, learn from them. These people, imitate them. Why? Because they always went to Christ. They always looked to Christ. They lived a life and they didn't know what they were doing. They didn't know why they were doing what they were doing. God would tell Abraham, get up and go. Okay. He just went. But he had faith. Abraham, sacrifice your son. Okay. He didn't ask why. But he did it out of faith. And so on and so forth. Moses, Joshua, David. All by faith. Knowing, knowing that if God asked it, then it must be for my benefit. And ultimately, this will turn my attention to God and to the Messiah, which is to come. St. Mary is the same. St. Mary leads us to Christ all the time, not just through her icon, but in everything she did in her life. There's a beautiful hymn. I don't know if we're going to say it um, uh, today. Uh, we'll see in a few minutes if it's five piffly men. Are we going to say five piffly men? Well, uh... I'm going to say it? Mesh, okay. <laughs> There's a beautiful verse, a uh, line in this uh, hymn that says, the pillar of light is St. Mary, or St. Mary is the pillar of light. When you hear pillar of light, what do you think of? Biblically, when you hear pillar of light, what do you think of? Moses, exactly. The people in Israel, or the Israelites, when they left Egypt, wandered in the desert for, trivia, how many years? Not exactly 40. 30, exactly, just under 40 years, but let's just say 40 years, lost, completely lost. In fact, um, they've done studies and they found that where the Israelites were in Egypt, to get to the promised land in a straight line should have taken like 11 or 13 days or something like that, not 40 years. 40 years they were lost because God told them, wherever the pillar of smoke leads you, Follow it. And at night, wherever the pillar of fire leads you, follow it. So when we hear pillar of light, we hear guidance. We think somebody is leading me. We call St. Mary the pillar of light in this hymn because she is constantly leading us and turning our attention to Christ again. Now, what does this have to do with me? That's a beautiful story and nice examples and book of Hebrews and all that stuff. Okay. But I'm not here to learn about this. I want to hear about me. What does this have to do with me? Tell me what this has to do with me. Put myself or put yourself in one of these icons. If somebody drew an icon of you, remember an icon, you read it. You don't look at it. You read the story. It's not just 
while he's wearing a nice suit and he shaved his head or cut his hair. In my case, no hair to begin with, but he looks nice in this picture, she looks nice in this picture. That's not what an icon does. An icon tells a story. If somebody drew an icon of you and I, when the person looks at that icon, what would they see? Would it lead them to Christ? Would it deflect their attention to Christ? It's something for us to ponder. Many, many people in the Old Testament, other than, other than the ones that we've mentioned, led people to God without one word, without one sermon, without one miracle. And I want to talk about only one person today, Naomi. We all know the story of Naomi. I'll remind you if you don't know it or if you forgot it. Naomi and her husband and her two sons were originally from the nation of Israel. They moved to a different country, to Moab, which was not, they didn't praise, they didn't worship God. Her two sons married two Moabite women. Eventually, Naomi's husband died and her two sons died. So it was just Naomi and her two, what, her two daughters-in-law. Naomi looked at them and said, you know what, girls? Halas, go back to your lives. Go back to your homes. Go back to your families. I don't have a husband, and you don't have husbands either. Go back and start a new life again back home with your family. One of them said, okay, and she went back. But one of them, what's her name? Ruth. Ruth said, I will stay with you. Even though Naomi tried to persuade her. Ruth, go start over. You're still young. You still have a future. Go and find somebody else and start a new life. And Ruth said something beautiful. Your people shall be my people, and what? And your God shall be my God. We never hear about Naomi giving a sermon. We never hear about Naomi performing any miracles. We don't know much about Naomi other than she was the wife of this man, and she had two sons. That's all we know about her. But because of the influence that Naomi had on Ruth, Ruth said, Naomi, I will stay with you. And your people will become my people. And your God will become my God. That's an icon that we can draw and think about somebody leading others to God. It doesn't take any special talents. It doesn't take any special skills. It doesn't take any biblical knowledge. It doesn't take anything other than how you live your life. What kind of example you lead when, you, when people look at you. And there's many, many others, and we don't have time to go through them. I just want to talk about one more, His Holiness Pope Kurulus. I don't think I've heard a sermon for Pope Kurulus, and if there is one, maybe it's... I don't think it exists. Has anybody heard a sermon for Amba Kurulus? I don't think he was ever recorded. Maybe he's written a few articles, but no big books or anything like that. He wasn't known for anything like that, but he was known as a man of prayer. And our church considers him now what? A saint. And churches are named after him. And countless people are named after him. Well, they're named after St. Cyril, of course, but Pope Kurulus having the same name. Another example of somebody who leads to Christ. Remember Pope Kurulus, for those of you that don't know who are too young to understand, he came during a very tumultuous time in the Coptic Church. We don't have time to go into the details. But it was a very difficult time in the Coptic Church. And God chose him, selected him, to become the patriarch of the church, 
to almost reset the church and reset its focus on who? On God. Reset the church's focus on prayer and reset the church's focus on Christ by praying a liturgy every single day. Another person who leads us to Christ without any special skills. By the way, I want to uh, speak to the deacons about something here. What is the response, what is the Marad um, al-Ibraxis? The response of the, uh, of the Acts. How does it go? Why do we say that there? What does that do with St. Mary? We just finished reading the Pauline epistle. We just finished reading the Catholic epistle. And we're just about to read the Acts of the Apostles. What does St. Mary have to do with that? And why does the church put the response there for St. Mary? Does anybody know? Any deacons know? Anybody? These things we can't take for granted. We have to ask ourselves, why? Why would the church put a hymn for St. Mary between the, Acts of, between the Catholic epistle and the Acts of the Apostles? Next time you hear it, remember this. Because the Acts of the Apostles is all about evangelism. And, the acts of the, and evangelism is leading others to Christ. So the church said the most beautiful example of leading others to Christ is St. Mary. So we're going to recognize her here with a special hymn, and then we're going to read the Acts of the Apostles after. They all evangelized, whether they went out and preached or just by living their lives. You know the saying which says, always preach Christ, and if necessary, use words? Same thing. The church said the most important evangelist, the most important person who leads us to Christ day in and day out is St. Mary. So we're going to put her with the evangelist, but we're going to give her special attention and give her a hymn. So the Shere Maria that comes right before the Acts of the Apostles is there for that reason. Remember that the next time you, you, we, uh, we say it or we hear it. So again, if somebody were to draw an icon about me, what it would look like? If somebody were to draw an icon about you, what would it look like? Would it look like this? When you look at it and say, I don't even know what I'm looking at here. This doesn't look like anybody who's leading anybody to Christ. Or would they look at that icon or read your icon and say, this person lived a life, not because of any skills, not because of any gifts or talents, not because of any sermons, not because of any memorization of any hymns. He or she led a life which led me to Christ. I'm going to close with a quick story. I may have said this before, but I don't recall, but it's definitely worth repeating because it's, it's very, very important. Years ago, when I was serving here at St. Mary's in the college uh, youth meeting, one of the youth came to me and shared an experience um, that he had when he was in college. This is a long time ago, so nobody, nobody will know who this person is. He said that he had a study group in college of his fellow classmates who were studying um, with him. And this, as the semester went on, they got to know each other better. They knew each other's names, then they knew which state they came from, then they knew about their backgrounds and culture and so forth. And somehow the topic of religion came up. The, when the topic of religion came up, they all identified to the others what religion they were. One of them said, 
uh, I'm Jewish. And they started talking about Judaism and so on and so forth. Another one said he was uh, an atheist. So they talked about atheism and so on and so forth. And I don't remember what the third one was, uh, let's say Muslim or Buddhist or something. And they talked about that. And then this particular youth, they asked him, and, and what's your religion? He said, oh, I'm a Christian. The other three, their jaws hit the floor. And they said, are you serious? Wow, we never, we never thought you'd be, you were a Christian. They weren't Christian themselves, but they expected what a Christian would look like, how a Christian would behave, what they would see in the life of a Christian. And when this youth said, I'm a Christian, they looked at him and said, wow, we never would have guessed. Now his icon, of course, was not what each of us wants to be. Thank God, you know, he, I'm sure he repented and went back and so forth, but the point is this. When somebody looks at me, when somebody looks at you, when somebody evaluates how you influence them, are they gonna see an icon like St. Mary's that say, here, look at Christ, learn from him, he is the, he is the savior? Or are they gonna say some, see somebody who is more preoccupied with the world, who Christ is the last thing in his mind? We could all be sitting here in church every single day in Nahda and come to church every single uh, Sunday and take communion. But in the outside world, do we bring that with us? Or do we leave it here? Because if we leave it here, then we're just like that youth when people would say, How, we never thought you'd be a Christian. It's the last thing in our minds. But if we bring it with us and we wear it, we don't just wear a cross, by the way, we bear a cross. If we live that life in the outside world and people look at us, it'll be just like the icon of St. Mary. Yes, I'm Wahid, but don't look at me, look at Christ. St. Mary, the icon of St. Mary, but we don't look at the icon of St. Mary and say, this is the icon that tells the story of St. Mary. No, because she tells us, look at Christ and learn from him. And glory be to God forever. Amen. <laughs>